I think I was born into coffee. I was literally born at the farm, at the coffee farm. Welcome back to Drip, a DC coffee podcast. I'm your host, Austin Brower. I hope everyone is having a nice summer and taking advantage of the last few weeks of this season to try new coffees and shops around DC. The other day, I met a fellow podcaster named Adam Mutchler, who runs the Founders Mind podcast, the podcast illuminating the inner thoughts of founders and startup executives. In this episode, we're going to speak to a founder in the coffee scene, but if you're interested in learning about other business founders in other sectors, I recommend taking a listen to the Founders Mind. In this episode of Drip, Jolima Taborta Rojas joins us to share the story of her business and her family. She is the founder and owner of Paisa Coffee LLC. Paisa Coffee LLC imports coffee from Colombian producers. In this way, she is the link between high quality coffee, the roaster, and the consumer. You can find Paisa Coffee in different shops around the DMV, including Swings, Cafe Amori, and Southeastern Roastery. It's time, so sit back, grab your cup of coffee, and enjoy the episode. Jolima Taborta here on Drip, a DC Coffee podcast, and really excited to have you. You are our first importer to talk to us, and you work with a lot of coffee shops in DC, so I'm really excited to share the story of your company and of your family and of your coffee. So thanks for being here. Thank you very much for inviting me. I'm really excited to be here. Yeah, it'll be good. Yeah. So yeah, we'd love to hear a little bit about yourself and who you are and what got you into coffee and what got you into wanting to import coffee, especially to the D.C. area. I think I was born into coffee. I was literally born at the farm, at the coffee farm, where my parents live right now, and I was raised there too. I'm 24 years old, so I spent most of my childhood at the farm. And I even did uh, the elementary school there and a little school that there was there in that village. And then I moved to the town to kind of a dormitory okay, so that I could do high school and I would visit my parents every weekend. And then to do college, I moved to the city and then I would visit my parents like twice a month or so at the farm because it was two hours away in Medellin. When I finished college, I moved to the U.S., wanting to study English. So I came through an interchange program that I found out about at the college I was at. And then I came to live with an American family in Bowie, Maryland. I was able to learn English miraculously because I, I mean, at least be able to talk, you know, it's not perfect, but people can understand. (laughs) Yeah. I had a really hard time trying to learn English in Colombia and I knew I needed it to be competitive Mm -hmm. on the job market. So I studied business management and then I came here and studied English and I've always liked coffee and I've always wanted to do something more with my parents' coffee Mm -hmm. because I knew, you know, I've seen how hard they work as a producer to produce really good coffee, but then it's just, we will sell it in Colombia to cooperatives that then will pay you the market price, which sometimes was very low. And then you don't really know where the coffee goes after you Hmm. leave it in the cooperative. It just gets blended with everybody else's coffee and it doesn't even get tasted, you know. They don't taste it before they pay you. They just look at it and then they pay you whatever the market is paying. So when I came here, I 
you know, I went to get a cup of coffee and it was like, you know, three or four dollars. And I'm like, what? This doesn't match with what you get for a pound of coffee as a producer in Colombia. How is it possible? So I started to do some research. My hope was always to roast our coffee at the farm and sell it in Colombia as roasted coffee and then get like added value out of that coffee. So when I came here, I said, well, maybe once I had spent a year here and I started seeing a lot of opportunity, I'm like, maybe I can just start a roaster here or maybe I can just bring the coffee roasted and sell it here. So I, you know, I started doing some research of how could I, you know, start a business here with my parents' coffee and be able to help them improve their business by, you know, helping getting more money out of their coffee. I talked to a couple of people from some roasters. They talked to Chase from Commonwealth Joe. He was very helpful and he took time to explain to me and he said, like, we won't buy roasted coffee because we buy green coffee and I say well that's even better because we don't even have a roasted at the farm we have green coffee so I'm like that we already have what roasters here are looking for which is the green coffee so I started bringing samples and getting feedback from a bunch of roasters to see if our coffee was good and will qualify for a specialty or to get feedback about how to improve it so that we could sell it as a specialty coffee and start doing direct trade and then we had all of the story in the background mm-hmm. and you know trying to connect directly with those roasters that will help us improve our coffee to a point where I could import it and I got really good feedback from almost everyone I asked so I started doing some research on how to start a business here and I started an import business. It turned out it was pretty easy to register a business. And like in Colombia, it's really hard. Yeah. I literally registered the business online and got everything online. And then I took that year of research to get feedback. I spent a while trying to figure out how to bring coffee here. And I brought my first import three years ago. At the end of the year, I brought seven bags of coffee. Well, and those are 60-pound bags, right? 70 so, kilos. 70 kilos. Yeah. But there's very little, you know, it's very little coffee. It was so little that I couldn't even put it on a ship, so I had to bring it by plane. But I just wanted to bring it and get people to know it and yeah. get feedback because with samples, you don't get any customers. So it was a big step for me because it was also scary. You know, it's, it's a big risk. Yeah. And... It's a lot of money, especially for me, you know, seven bags of coffee. But my dad helped me. So he's like, you know, I'll sell it to you at the market price as I'm selling it. And I'll buy it from you at that price. And if it works, then I'll pay you the accident. And if it doesn't, then we both take split the risk. So he supported me. He gave me the seven bags and I brought them in and we sold them. And we made some profit, you know, it wasn't yeah. huge, but it was like, you know, four or $500 from seven bags, which is, you know, really good. I was just expecting to break even. Yeah. So I brought those seven bags and I got three customers and, and then I started marketing the coffee, getting the website and doing more research and meeting more people until I was able to bring a container with 105 bags last year. And so how much is that? Do you weigh the container as well? Is it based on how heavy the container is? So when you import the coffee, you have like several costs. For the container, there is a cost of shipping the container, but they charge you the same for the container. So it's a flat rate for the container. It doesn't matter if you fill it up or if you put one back or, you know. And I'm bringing the smallest container that can fit almost 300 bags. Wow. And I put 105, you know, so I had still yeah. had a lot of space for a lot of coffee. But, you know, it's hard to bring that much coffee at once. So 
I brought those 105, which include my parents' farm and two of my uncle's farms as well. So it was three farms. And we got really good feedback and I got a lot more customers than the ones I got at the beginning, a lot more feedback. So I was able to give that feedback to my family. Mm -hmm. There are the producers to improve, you know, everything that needed to be improved. But it was really excited because I was able to pay much more than the market was paying them. Yeah. So they got really excited about it. And, and how much is that usually, the market price? I know it, it fluctuates, but typically what were your parents? Are you so, for paid? example, um, last year when I went to Colombia, the cooperatives would buy it as a, what we call carga, a carga, one carga, which is 125 kilos okay. of parchment coffee. So the market was selling it for... Like six hundred nineteen thousand, they were buying it. I'm sorry, buying it for six hundred nineteen thousand pesos, and a farmer has to invest almost seven hundred thousand pesos to produce it. I mean, that was a very bad situation. Sometimes yeah. the price is, is better, but they didn't have any other option but to sell it at this price. You know, unless they could find someone that could buy it directly, but there is not many people that can do that at this moment. So many farmers had to sell at those prices. And that's crazy, but you don't really know the price until the end of the year. Yeah. As a farmer, you're working all year long, but yeah. you don't know how much you're going to make. And that's not really fair, you no, know? No, not fair at all. So I get out of the market, and I, I don't work like with a percentage of the market or anything. I just put a price that I think, you know, it's fair for their coffees. And then I, I buy those coffees at that price. And the farmer knows, you know, my family, like my parents and uncles, they know how much I'm going to pay them for the coffee at the end of the year. And they know how much coffee they're going to produce. So they are able to plan and Uh they're able to know in advance how much money they're going to make and, you know, plan on how they're going to invest it. But if you're selling at market price, you don't know how much money you're going to make. You don't know if it's going to be enough or if you're going to be in debt. You know, it's very uncertain for the producers. Huh. So that's incredible. You're really giving your farmers or your family the flexibility to understand how much they're going to make and to actually reinvest into the farm and know that they're not going to lose money off of making and producing coffee. Yeah, that's a, that's a really great thing. You know, it's a big reward for me Yeah. because their farms are businesses. So as businesses, they should sustain themselves and, and the family and the farmer shouldn't have to get in so much debt. Yeah. So part of the process that you just talked about and your journey to where you are today is that you were taking samples of the coffee to different coffee shops mm-hmm. and getting feedback. How long did it take for that feedback to start improving the coffee? Or it sounds like your coffee was already almost at specialty anyways, but... What type of feedback did they give and how long did it take for that coffee to be ready for the specialty market? Most of the feedback was related to the picking, you know, the picking of only the ripe cherries, Mm -hmm. which is really hard to do. Although, you know, it seems like it's easy just to pick the ripe cherries. But when all the cherries ripen at very different times and you have all kinds of stages of the cherry on a same branch Mm -hmm. it's hard so we're still working on improving that because that can always be improved that was something that we could start doing the next harvest you know all of the feedback we got we could start applying it on the next harvest so we did a lot of work on the picking of the coffee we didn't have any problems with fermentation so the coffee was really good at that point even though we weren't selling as a specialty coffee Mm -hmm. we were just selling it as a commodity coffee 
But I knew, you know, I knew the good work that my dad does every day when there's harvest time, you know, like he will get up very early so that the coffee wouldn't over fermentate. If he let it fermentate in the night before, make sure to wash it before he goes pick up more coffee. He will make sure to poop it and wash the machines correctly. You know, he will stay up until nine or not stay up, but like finish working at 9 p.m. because he's pulping and washing the machines and getting everything ready. So it's like a lot of work that some other farmers don't do. Mm-hmm. And then his coffee will just get blamed out with everybody else's, you know? Yeah. So it's like, you know, all that work and you're getting the same price than the neighbor that didn't put as much effort on it. Yeah, we got like those kinds of things that could be improved. The sorting of it, you know, we do it by hand and some things could be improved too. So we're hard on the sorting. We got a hauling machine so we do the hauling at the farm everything gets done at the farm the packing everything oh that's incredible yeah and so are you still trying to start a roaster no 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 (laughs) no what i want to do in colombia in the village it's to start a lab so that i can do cuppings with the producers because most of producers don't know what their coffee tastes like they don't know if it's good so if you don't have the knowledge, basically anybody can take advantage of you. Yeah. So, you know, it's very sad that some farmers have such good copies, but because they don't know they're so good, they cannot go and ask for more. You know, they cannot. If you know your coffee is worth more, you're not going to sell it for anything. You feel the confidence to say, okay, my coffee is really good. I think it's fair that you pay me this price because my coffee is good. They don't know that. Most of them have never tasted their coffees. They don't know, you know, when a coffee has a defect on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I've been studying. I've been training a lot. I took the Q class. Um, nice. How'd it go? It went well. It went well. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. Congratulations. Thank you. That's like a sommelier for wine, the Q grading course, right? Yeah. So you're a professional. You can just smell coffee and say where it's from. Right? <laughs> Yeah, well, it's a little more complicated than that. Fair. <laughs> but yeah, well, I, I've learned a lot during this. This is my fifth year in the U.S. and my third year with the business. I've learned a lot and I'm being able to pass that knowledge. Like my parents now drink their coffee. You know, I brought yeah, like a little awesome. roaster that's and a so little cool. grinder. And so it's incredible. But I grew up drinking instant coffee. Isn't that crazy? That's Producing crazy. coffee, drinking instant coffee that is made with the leftover coffee, you know, with like the lower quality coffee yeah, that doesn't get exported. So your dad was producing this incredible coffee all. Yeah. And we were drinking instant coffee. So, and that's probably the case for a lot of the farms in the area, right? For most of them. Everybody's trying to sell it. Everybody. Yeah. You're you're just trying to make the money out of it. And then a roasting machine is expensive. Yeah. A grinding machine is expensive. In a brewing machine, you know, so... It's true, it adds up. That's not the priority for them, you know, they cannot afford to get those things. Yeah. So I want to build a lab so that, you know, give them that opportunity to roast their coffees there and drink their own coffees and learn what's wrong so that they can improve it. Because if you really can tell what's wrong, then you can improve it. But, you know, I tell them like, oh, this is wrong, but... I feel sometimes they don't get it, you know, like, Hmm. you know, don't pick the cherry if it's not totally right because it's going to taste different. And so on their minds, they're like, no, you know, like sometimes, like, you know, so you got to change the chip. Yeah. So like, and give them to them to like taste it and taste the difference. You know, it does make a difference. I'm not just 
complaining because I want to. <laughs> so it's been a learning process for me and for them, but they're very open and they are very excited because of course they are getting to sell in their coffee. They're getting what they deserve for all their hard work and that motivates them to improve their coffees, to invest more on the farms, to get a better product. You know, if I bring my uncle a bag of coffee from a U.S. roaster that is branded with the U.S. name and then it has the name of the farm and his name on the back. That's pretty cool that's for so them. That's so cool. Oh, that's yeah. really neat. And and so you came to the U.S. to learn English and then you just love D.C. enough to stay here? Is well, that what happened? Well, I came initially to Bowie, Maryland. Mm-hmm. And then I met my actual husband and then I got married and he lived in Arlington, so I moved So here. it's his fault. Yeah, it's okay. his fault. <laughs> but I love this sea. Nice. And I get to visit my host family often because they're not too far. So they're like my American family yeah. for real. So, yeah. Oh, that's great then. And it's not a bad market to be in for coffee. It's not. It's great. I love the coffee, especially the coffee industry. Mm-hmm. The people has been incredibly, you know, welcoming. And if I need something, if I need feedback, people is always willing to give it to me. You know, they'll try my coffee and if they, even if they know they won't buy it, they will try it and give me feedback and that's such a big help. Yeah, definitely. And I feel like everybody is very, you know, very nice. Even the competitors are nice. You help each other. So it's, I love it. That's fun to hear. And that's, yeah, I feel like I hear that more and more that everybody in the community is supporting people. I mm-hmm. was even talking to Candy, who was on an earlier episode and she was saying that, Charles from Qualia, who's a roaster at Qualia, like cupped some of her coffee and gave her a lot of recommendations. And it's great that everybody's trying to help each other. Yeah, it's, make it better. It's great. Um, I get a lot of help from Sam from Kefa. Okay. He's incredibly knowledgeable. He has a lot of experience, and he cups my coffees, and he's won competitions on cupping, so he knows. And he gives me feedback, and for me, that's like very valuable feedback. You yeah. know, he lets me use his sample roaster, stuff like that. You know, so it's like you get impressed that people. It's so helpful. Yeah, taking care of everybody. Yeah. So if you don't mind, we can back up a little bit and talk about just the importing process because we've never really talked about it on the podcast. Would love to get your insight into the importing and exporting process, and just from getting your coffee at the farms. What's the process to getting that in the U.S.? So you have the importer and the exporter, the importer in the U.S. and the exporter in Colombia. Sometimes if you're only an importer, you will usually buy from exporters in Colombia that you know, that will send you samples or cooperatives that will send you samples Mm -hmm. and then you'll buy from them. In my case, you know, I don't have the export license, Mm -hmm. but I do the whole export process and then I work with an exporter that that does the documents for me, the legal part. Hmm. For an importer here, you just set up a company and basically you don't really need any import license. Now I've heard people talking about the import license, but there's no such import license. Really? (laughs) Yeah. So what you do is you set up the company, you need to register with FDA. But you do that, all, all of that, you do it online. And then what you do need is you need a broker here at the port that's going to help you with customs to bring the coffee. Hmm. So for me, the process is like this. I start purchasing coffee when the harvest starts in Colombia because the farmers need their money right away. You know, they produce coffee this week. And then at the end of the week, once the coffee is dry, they're ready to sell. 
When's Colombia season? When's the harvest season? It changes depending on the regions, but in the region where I buy from, which yeah. is Antioquia, in the towns of Amaga, in TTDB, very close to Medellin. Okay. It's a, it starts in October, November, and it finishes in January, February. Okay. Nice. So it kind of just finished up a couple months ago. Yeah. Yeah. It just finished up. But then you do the other part of the process, which takes about a month. So they start picking, you know, and then I'll, I'll start buying coffee like in October. Okay. And so I start paying for that coffee. And then in February, I will have all of the coffee in parchment that I purchased from them. Two of the farms that I buy from are in a different village mm-hmm. from the village where my parents and uncles farms are. Mm-hmm. So at my parents' farm, we have uh, the hauler machine. So my dad does the hauling. We will bring the coffees to my parents' farm, which is Finca La Vega, and then my dad will do the hauling. Okay. And, and the hauling's just for the listeners, what's the hauling doing? It's taking off... The parchment part, so okay. the coffee. Okay, so it's after it's dried and yeah. been depopped. Yeah. Okay. So we, we do the process that we do is washed. Mm-hmm. We don't do naturals at the moment or honey. We're experimenting with those, but most of our production is just washed. Mm-hmm. So you pulp the coffee, fermented it, and then you wash it and then you dry. Okay. So after it's dried, the green beans will still have the parchment on. So I will leave the parchment on until all the coffee is ready because it protects the beans. Then we'll do the hauling and the size classification. And I hire like women from the village uh-huh. to come and do the manual sorting. So that's good because they also get like some additional income. Yeah. And, and you get to give back to your village. Yeah. And that's, that's great. So they, I hire them and then they come and do manual sorting of each bean and pick out all of the defective beans and bad beans that don't classify or that they didn't get classified by the machine. So they pick out all of the bad beans. Then we pack the coffees in Grain Pro and Burlap bags okay. and it gets weighted out. You know, I have someone there that what do you call it? Like mark the bags. Okay, yeah. Put the logo and the lot number and, you know, the product of Colombia, everything that needs to be on the bag so that the port will accept it. Mm-hmm. And once all of the bags are packed, then I talk to my exporter, which is in Medellin, and I tell them, I'm going to send these to the port and it is export on. And they send the authorization to the FNC and some documents that need to be signed by the exporter. But they actually don't touch the coffee. I just send them a sample so they know what I'm exporting. Yeah. But there is like a very good relationship of trust because they're basically putting their name you know there for, yeah. for us but they're just doing all the paperwork they're that's doing right. the paperwork yeah so they're doing the authorization saying that that's their coffee and then mm. send that document to the port but i have the communication with the broker in colombia so i have a broker in colombia too and with them i will coordinate the shipping to the port so i'll do the shipping to the port which has to be in a truck that is authorized by the national federation of coffee growers to go to the port with coffee. You cannot just send it in any truck. Oh, wow. So it will be sent to the port, and then at the port, the coffee will get analyzed to make sure it meets the requirements for exporting. So they measure the moisture level and check that everything is good, there's nothing bad with it. And then I'll request the, the fill-out of the container. They will put all of the coffee in the container, and then the broker there will help me with all of that, you know, with mm-hmm. all of the movements at the port until the coffee gets on the ship. And so once the coffee is on the ship, the ship will leave and then the process goes to the hands of my broker here, 
who starts helping me with, okay, like tracking where the coffee is coming and when is it going to arrive. Once it arrives, it has to be reported to customs and then custom and FDA and they will decide if they want to do any exams on it, like mm-hmm. an x-ray or a physical exam or anything that they want to do. And then those exams will get done. And once they release the container at the port, I can take it. So my communication is mostly with both brokers, you know, mainly with both brokers that are helping me with the transportation and with any legal documentation, with payments, you know. So I pay them and they pay whoever needs to be paid. Like I don't directly talk to customs because, some, you know, there are some specific forms that need to be filled out a certain way. So you don't want to make a mistake with that because it's very expensive. (laughs) Yeah. So they help with that. So usually every importer will have a broker. If they are also an exporter, they'll have a broker in the country of origin too. The exporters usually deal with the broker, but I just, because it's my coffee and I'm really doing, you know, so I do the whole thing with the broker and the transportation and the exporter does provide documentation that legalize the coffee. That's a lot. Yeah, so it one seems like a lot of logistics and administrative work to make sure everything lines up and yeah, nothing's and so lost. But it, there is always something like you know, I try to plan like with four months in advance, and everybody's like, "You've got to wait." You know, some things apparently is I had to do last minute, which is very stressful. Yeah, that you have to wait until the last minute because then it's something always happens because you waited until the last minute. It's the, it's the learning process. Yeah, so. like your most recent container ended up stuck in a port because the electricity went out, right? Yeah. You can't plan for that. Yeah, so I, <laughs> I mean, you can do nothing about it if they won't release the container because the power went off. I mean, there's nothing really. Sometimes there's nothing you can do. So it's all part of the process. Yeah. One of the questions I had was, you know, why are importers, I guess even exporters, so important to the coffee chain? But it really, in your case, and probably in a lot of cases in specialty coffee, you're able to talk to the farmers and the roasters and unite them together. And that Mm -hmm. that would be why importers and exporters are so important. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you, you need importers. And even if you're doing direct trade, it's still... There is a company that's got to be the importer. Even if you're the owner of the company, there's got to be a company that is the import company and the export company. Like, I'm doing direct trade, but I'm not an exporter, but I just use the legal part of the name of an exporter in order to get the coffee out. That doesn't mean that they are a middleman. They are really not because they're not buying the coffee at any at any point and selling and reselling it to me. I'm buying the coffee directly from the producers. That's just part of this chain of the logistics, you know? But the chain can be bigger if, if you're not doing direct trade then the cooperatives could go and buy the coffee and then sell it to exporters if they are not exporters and then the exporters will sell it to importers or to distributors that then will sell it to importers. The importers will buy them and might sell it to other distributors or to the customers directly. So they, you know, chain, chain can get pretty longer. big. And especially if you're selling commodity coffee. If you're selling, yeah. Then the farmer is getting pennies on what it's worth and everybody else gets a cut of what the coffee yeah. is worth. And really you don't know where the coffee came from because it usually gets blended with all other coffees. So mm-hmm. when you do direct trade. One, I think the roasters have a much bigger opportunity to change or kind of help improve their coffees that they are buying. Yeah. Because they have direct contact with the producers and they can go to the farms 
and they can, you know, help out or suggest things to improve those coffees that they are buying. But if you don't know where your coffee comes from, how are you going to improve it? You just change for another coffee that's better, but that really doesn't help the farmer, you know? Yeah. Well, it's nice then that you're bringing them together, the farmers and the Yeah, it's, it's really nice. Well, thanks for going over the kind of importing side. I know it's arduous in that there can be a lot of parts of the chain, but I think it's important for people to know kind of the steps of getting coffee and how it affects the price. And so now the real exciting things, Pesa coffee. Pesa coffee. Gosh darn it, Pesa coffee. <laughs> um, I think we went over that at the beginning too, Pesa coffee. So what's Pesa coffee mean? So Paisa is the name given to people in Colombia that are from a certain region. Okay. So Antioquia, for example, the department where I'm from, in other three departments, the people that are from those departments are called Paisas. So I'm Paisa. Okay. Like, for example, people from Bogota, they are called Rolos, you know? Okay. So you call them Rolos. And we are Pisces. Oh, so Pisces are, you know, like we're very proud to be Pisces. Yes. You know, if you're from Colombia and you're Pisces, you're like really I proud to be Pisces. Yeah. So, and are known for being kind, you know, like good things. So that's why I call the company Pisces. I'm like, you know, when I started the business also, I started the business and I was not 100% sure of what kind of business was going to be. Uh-huh. Well, is am I going to be importing coffee? You know, like I actually started doing other, I, I had another business. I was selling arepas. I don't know if you know what that is. It's like, I don't know what that it's is. It's like, what a, it's a corn flatbread kind of thing that we eat in Colombia a lot, especially paisas, you know? Yes. And so I was doing that first while I do research on the coffee that part of the good. business. That sounds good. I want to try that. But yeah, they're very good. I mean, so I had, I just started a company with the name Paisa so that it could be adjusted because just the identity of Paisa and the yeah. name cool. So are you allowed to buy coffee from other regions as well? Or are you yeah, going to change yeah. your name? Today? No. <laughs> no, I, can, I hope I can buy coffee from other regions as well. But the name of the company is going to still Paisa. Paisa, you know, Paisa okay. Cup. No, that's really neat. And it's just fun to hear that family is throughout your company and your process. You're buying coffee from your family. Um, yeah. And your company's name, Paisa, which is where your family's from. Not necessarily a name. But. Yeah. Yeah, it's like a, it's like Washingtonian. But mm-hmm. not really because we're from Antioquia, so we'll be Antioquenos. But it's like a second, I guess a second name yeah. that is given, like Paisa. And then, so you've been operating for about three years. Yeah, this is my third, third year. year. So. Okay. And so where can I go and get your coffee? What shop should I go to to get your coffee? Most of my customers are in the Virginia, Maryland, and D.C. area. I do have a customer in Idaho. That's my biggest customer. In Idaho? Yeah. She's a Colombian. Okay. And she buys a lot of my coffee, so... That's a little far, so... <laughs> yeah, yeah that's, I don't so, go I Idaho very often. Yeah, so Swings Coffee gets some of my coffee. Okay, I've heard of them. Yeah, Commonwealth Joe Coffee gets my... Cus- you know Cascara? Yeah, yeah, that's one of their... Is it a blend? Is that right? It's a skin of the coffee cherry. Oh, the dry she, coffee cherry. Okay, yeah. Yeah, and they got some of my coffee too in the past. I don't know if they still have some. And people brew that as almost like a tea, right? Where you yeah. put the, yeah, the husk they, of the coffee in hot water yeah they make a syrup in like a cold soda cascara soda it's called cascara fizz so it's a lot of things you can do with it and everybody's experimenting with it and coming up with drinks so yeah. they they use my cascara for their drinks oh interesting i'll you still try, try that. that 
Yeah. I think the shop that I work in, we just got Cascara too. And I was like, what? This surprise. This is it yours? No, but it could be. It could be. <laughs> yours is better. <laughs> I need to go there. There you Bring go. Bring them some samples. Yeah. Uh, Como will Joe Cafe Amori in uh-huh. Vienna. They are getting my coffee this year. Cervantes Coffee, Southeastern Roastery. Good old candy. candy. Uh-huh. The Blue Elk Coffee, they are in Elkton, Virginia. Okay. Cordial Coffee is in Burryville. I don't know if you've heard of them. I haven't heard of them, but yeah. now I have, so I'll have to check them out. Yeah. Gracefully Coffee Roasters in Baltimore. Mm-hmm. One Do Coffee, it's also in Baltimore. They just opened. Okay. Java Jane's. Don't know coffee, Mad City Coffee, Mocha Box, they're also small. It's very nice because several of my clients, when I was starting up, they were starting up. Oh, so that's we get to like grow up together, which is great. You know, if they grow, I grow. It's a really nice experience because we can help each other. Then Coffee, and I sold coffee to Shenandoah Coffee. Okay. In where are they? Charlottesville. Oh, okay. So, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm trying to expand, to connect with more roasters, tell our story, get roasters to come and visit us at the farm, help us improve our coffees and commit with us to, you know, work together and kind of offer that stability that I'm trying to offer to the producers. If I can get to bring a little more coffee, you know, I can reduce my costs and offer better prices too. So it's all, you know, a process, but the farmers are excited about it. You know, I get neighbors now, like, asking my parents and uncles, like, oh, hey, how do we process our coffees so that Jolima will buy them, you know? And so I'm like, you know, I wish I could buy all of those coffees. So I need, I'm trying to connect with as many roasters as I can that are interested in working with us yeah. and helping us grow and helping those farmers because it's, it's sustainability for them and it's improvement of quality for the roasters. It's just such a beautiful thing you know yeah it really is and so how do you go about doing that trying to build those connections and and grow your client base well basically i just go knocking doors yeah you know i go roaster to roaster make phone calls make appointments bring samples and some roasters have connected me with other roasters the coffee fest yeah, stuff like that. Great. Yeah, you were working Coffee Fest. You're around every aisle and talking to almost everybody I saw. It was impressive. It was awesome. I, it was my first Coffee Fest, and I was so excited to be there and awesome. like to see so much coffee and so much people in coffee. You know, it's just this really. It's very passionate about coffee, and I love. You know, I love going and visit the shops and meeting the people and learning the stories. And everyone is just also very welcoming and everyone wants to tell their story. And so you always learn something new about everyone. That's how I do it. I drive a lot. Okay. Because, you know, Charlottesville is not that close. So you got to drive. Yeah. Or Idaho. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, cool. But we'll have to wait till October to try your coffee and storage. Is that right? No, it's because I already brought my containers doing shipping. So people is already roasting. Oh, this is huge. Okay. Yeah, so you can go ahead and order it now. <laughs> yeah, you'll have to tell me which bags are in which shops. And then I yeah, can go, yeah. Go try. That. That's really cool. And so I was talking to, I don't know if I should say his name or not. I'm going to say it and maybe take it out. But Javier, yeah. the roaster of Swings, and he was on the podcast earlier. And he was saying for like the first couple months, you were just at Swings in their tasting lab, like just there almost every day. 
and they didn't buy your coffee initially, but you still came back and yeah. just come back every day and kind of hounded them. And finally they're like, this, we'll buy this. Yeah. <laughs> and they bought it. You're going to be very, you know, you cannot give up. I didn't really have any like significant work experience because I just got out of college and yeah. came here. At first, you know, it's hard when you like you people, they shut you down like, oh, you know, I'm not interested, but you cannot give up because then you're not going to grow. So at first, you know, it's hard when people don't like you see there's not interested and or they tell you like, you know what, just I'm not interested. No, thank you. It's hard to hear the no and the yeah. reject, you know, to take that at first. You're like, OK, you know, am I in the right thing or you know, this is not for me, so... But I think this is something... And I tried before when I was in college. I always knew I, I was not good with sales, you know? Okay. So, I, and I studied Let's, business management. You got a management. long list there, so it seems like you're... Yeah, so I, like, I sold... I used to sell stuff at college, you know, like candy and things. Uh-huh. Because I wanted to, like, improve my sales skills. But I, you know, it's, I, you know, I wasn't good at it. I was just <laughs> not good at it. But this is different because it's, this is like part of my identity. So yeah. I'm not just selling candy that someone else did or made. I'm selling like my coffee, you I know, my coffee. family's product. This is like where I grew up. I'm selling my story, you know, where it's part of my life. So it's part of my identity of where I am. So it's much easier just to go there and, and to learn and to offer people and I think, you know, you gotta keep insisting and, you know, if it's not today, it can be a yes tomorrow. And I go to swings a lot to do the cuppings. Yeah. And they're such a great people. But yeah, like I went for like two years before they bought a first pack of coffee from me. But I kept going every Friday, you know, every to Every Friday cupping. for two years to cuppings. Yeah. And I still go because it's a good practice. You know, I go to several cuppings that are free, you know, mm-hmm. Commonwealth Joe does cuppings too. Yeah. Chris does cuppings to it. Vigilante? Yeah. Yeah, they so, have a nice Yeah, and you room. get to cup different coffees. Otherwise, I'll be just cupping my coffees all the time. And you need to try different, you know. Yeah, your coffees are good, but, but you yeah, experience like, some other tastes. Yeah, sometimes. if I want to keep my cue. <laughs> there you go. I need to, you know, taste other coffees. Practice. Yeah. That's really fun. And, and so what would you say, so you're talking about coffee being... This coffee that you're selling is really part of your identity in some ways. What do you want people to experience or think about when they're tasting your coffees? Well, I want people to think about the people that's behind the coffee in all of the work that's behind our coffee. Know that if there is something that they know that can be improved, you know, there's me to talk about it and to tell that to the farmers. Yeah. And not just, you know, it's I've gotten sometimes like feedback like, okay, this just doesn't fit my standards, you know, this coffee. Okay. But it's really nice when I get to know why, because then I can improve it until I get to that. I'm like, okay, I want to know what I need to do so that it does reach your standards, you know, or what do we need to do? So... I want people to think of that, like, honestly, like, they like it or not, and why, and what can I tell to the producers if they have good feedback? The producers are always happy to hear what's good about their coffee, and that motivates them, and they do a lot of, there is such a lot of things behind a cup of coffee. It's a lot of work. It's like two different separate things, once all the whole harvesting and growing and Mm -hmm. processing, uh, and then after the roasting, you know, that's like a whole different thing. Yeah. So it's not just roasting and grinding and brewing. It's also all the things that are behind it. So 
think about all that on how when you buy in direct trade for trade coffee, you're helping those people to, you know, improve their life quality and to get the best out of their businesses, which are their farms. And if you have feedback, you know, that feedback, they need to know that because that motivates them or helps them improve. I have all of the stories of all of the farmers I work with in my website. And I'm always happy to tell the story of these farmers. Yeah, is there one in particular you want to share? If you want, I can share the one from my parents, which is the That'd one. That'd be awesome, yeah. So my, my mom and my dad, they have been, I'm maybe the fifth generation of coffee growers. Oh, wow. So my dad grew up in a village called Loma del Guamo in a town called TTDB in Antioquia. And my mom grew up in a village called Pueblito de San Jose, which is where I grew up in Amaga town in Antioquia, Colombia as well. So my dad and my grandparents... Don't ask me to repeat those. But. My, <laughs> yeah, well, my, my grandparents on my dad's side moved to my mom's village when he was maybe 15. So that's when they met. And then they got married when my mom was 19 and my dad was 21. They had like a little piece, my dad bought a little piece of land and he and they themselves built up a house and, you know, like started working very yeah. hard, planting some trees. My dad would work in other stuff, you know, construction or like working for other farms. What's a, a small piece of land? Is that like five acres or? So acres is hard for me because oh. we don't do it, yeah. <laughs> but we do like... Uh, Hectors. A hectare, yeah. Yeah. I don't really so, know what that means, but how, how, <laughs> many, how many hectares? So our farm is very small. It's like, it's less than three hectares. Less than three hectares. How many coffee plants? Maybe that'll be helpful. Yeah. So we have 13,000 plants. Thir well, that's a lot of plants. 13, and they started with 3,000. Okay. There we go. That's helpful. Yeah. So my dad started, they started with 3,000 plants and then, you know, they started growing up and today they have 13,000 yeah. in they build up everything from zero, you know, like they started out of, with almost nothing. It's hard also to grow when you don't have that, you know, it's, it's a slow grow as a producer. You grow, but slowly. So I think they've achieved a lot of, they have achieved a lot of things. Like my dad and my mom didn't have the opportunity to study because they came from big families and my grandparents didn't really, they didn't have the vision of study it's mm -hmm. important and we want our kids to study you know they just they wanted them to you know stay at the farms and help and you know be farmers too but my dad and my mom they didn't want that for my brothers and I so they always like encourage us like you have to study you know you have to I left home when I was 11 because I had to go you know to high school so I basically I grew up on the, in the farm until I was 11 then I left and I will come every weekend since then I just I see my parents you know every weekend or once a month and now almost once a year. So even though they didn't have a study, they had the vision that we had to study and that we had to, you know, go to college and do whatever we needed to, you know, to improve our life of quality of life. Yeah. And so we did, but, you know, I don't want to just, like, get a job and then leave, you know, all of the coffee yeah. story behind, but help them improve that so that that's also a business for them. It's, you know, it's, it's nice be able to help and give back to my family, my parents, and to also my community. They still live at the farm, process the coffee. It's much better now. It's not as hard. It's still, you know, a lot of work, but... Yeah. Oh, I can't imagine that. 13,000 yeah. plants, but at least they're... That's a micro lot, actually. That's a very small farm. 
Oh, okay. It's a good thing I don't own a farm. <laughs> yeah, but it's good. It's very hard to get pickers too. So my dad says in the future, farmers are only going to be are only going to be the ones that can pick their own coffee. You know, like people, it's not going to be able to have huge farms oh, because it's very hard There's to no get. There's no market for it. It's, yeah, it's a very hard the to get. The job market. Yeah. yeah. Well, thanks for sharing that. And um, one kind of last thing is you talk a lot about transparency on your website. Mm-hmm. Um, why is transparency so important to you, to your company, to the coffee process? For me, you know, like when I hear direct trade, you know, sometimes I wonder, is that really direct trade? And yeah. I'm, I'm sure a lot of people wonder. I try to be as transparent as possible, you know, put out there the pictures of the farmers, try to get the roasters to come and see that what they are buying is really going to the farms, you know, that this is a, the coffee that they're getting, they know where it's coming from. It's not a lie. It's not something that I'm making up, you know, like right. I want to be as transparent as possible so that they believe what I believe and that they are sure that what they are getting is what I'm telling them that they are getting. Yeah. So that can only be done by, you know, like keeping that communication, like being that communication between roasters and farmers by roasters coming to the farms, meeting the farmers, eating with them in the table, uh, going out in the fields with them seeing what they do, seeing what they're getting paid, and how is that helping them improve. You know, talk to the farmers and ask them if this is really making a difference from what they were doing before, and see how direct trade really adds value. You know, it's just not a word, direct trade, but it's really that direct relationship from the roasters to the farmers. I am like the link between of them, you know? So I know the farmers very well. I mean, I'm a farmer. I grew up there. I'm a producer myself. Yeah. You know, I want people to know that and to be sure that that's true. So I think transparency is, you know, it gives them trust. It gives trust to the producers and to the roasters. You know, I think it's it's very important when you're dealing with specialty coffee and working with producers and working with roasters. So try to be as transparent as possible and whatever I can do to prove it, you know, I'm always happy to... <laughs> You'll jump on a podcast. Yeah. Whichever one. But no, thank you. Yeah, I, I saw that a lot on your website and just called it out a lot. So it must have meant something. So thanks for sharing that. So those were the questions I have. One other question that I like to ask most people is if you had to take a friend to eat somewhere in D.C., mm-hmm. where would you take them? Your favorite restaurant? Well, I don't go out a lot. But there is a Colombian restaurant. Okay. I was hoping you were going to say a Colombian restaurant. Which one is There are a lot of Colombian restaurants. But there is a Colombian restaurant in uh, Springfield. It's called Aroma Cafe. And they have a lot of, you know, very close to traditional Colombian food. So I like something we call chicharron. Okay. It's pork belly fried. That sounds good. My husband says, that's just like fried bacon, you know, like, and I'm like, no, it's chicharron and it's so good. It's so tasty. So it I go there to bacon. get it. There's nothing wrong it's with It's not that. bacon, but it, it is fried pork belly. You know, you don't get that in any other place. Maybe in a Mexican restaurant, but it's not even like that. You know, it's not the real thing. And you get the Colombian chorizos and you get the bandeja paisa. You know, we have paisas have a dish okay. that is typical of our region. What is it? And it's called bandeja paisa. And it has beans, rice, meat. It has three kinds of meat. It has like all kinds of carbs you can imagine. And then all kinds of meats. 
The only green thing is an avocado. That's Nothing all else. Need. That's, That's all, all you need. All that is. But yeah, I love. I. I mean, I love Colombian food. So. What is I'll cafe? Cafe Amor. No, Aroma Cafe. Aroma Cafe. Gosh, yeah. I'm going there. Yes. Um, try it out. Uh, the DC coffee scene. You know, you've been more closely connected to it over the last three years. Has it changed since you started, or, or what direction do you see it going? Well, I think it's grown. Every time I go on the internet, I feel to look for a new customer. I feel like there is a roaster that I didn't find last yeah, time right. I went searching. So, like a new roaster opens, you know, a lot of roasters are opening or are starting roasting coffee. And so there are a lot of, it's a growing business, the roasting business yeah. in DC, I think. I found I could look like every month I go and look like, okay, who haven't I contacted yet? And then I'll find someone that I didn't see before. Or that are new, when I will meet someone that is just starting a roasting company, or that was roasting from home and now is going into buying a roaster. So I think it's definitely growing. There is a lot of potential. It's good. It's good for business. I, I, yeah, it's good. It's good for business. I like being in a growing market. You know. There you go. And it, so, if other roasters or if roasters are listening to this now, or if somebody wants to buy green beans from you and they're a home roaster, how can they get in touch with you? They can go to my website, www.paisacoffee.net. Okay. Or they can go to my Instagram or Facebook page, which is Paisa Coffee LLC, and just send me an email at jolima at paisacoffee.net or send me a text through Instagram, you know. Okay. Any of those platforms, just send me a text and I'll answer right away. Yeah, you were quick to the email. So, <laughs> I don't think I was as quick in responding. <laughs> I apologize. I'll try to be as responsive as I can. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much for inviting me. This was really exciting. And that's a wrap, folks. Keep up to date with Jolima by checking out her website, Twitter, and Instagram. Be sure to follow Drip, a DC Coffee podcast, wherever you get your podcast and on Instagram. A big thanks to Mike Crockett, the engineer, the Broke Royals for music, Rebecca Silverstein for graphic and web design, and Wesley Stukenbroker for creative support. Thanks again for listening, and keep brewing community.